Welcome in to another edition of Great Things Are Happening in Columbia Township. On today's podcast, we've got Trustee President Dave Kabicki, Vice President Brian Lamar, and Township Administrator Melissa Taylor. Thank you. Uh, in an effort to bring everybody closer to some of our local officials, we have a special guest. Our next guest is a member of the Ohio House of Representatives 31st District and has had that position since 2017. Uh, tell you a little bit about her. She was born and raised in Norwood, Ohio, and attended St. Ursula Academy in high school. Before that, be- before, then she graduated from the uh, Xavier University with her bachelor's degree and then went on to the University of Cincinnati to earn her master's, crossing the crosstown shoot up both schools. <laughs> Uh, she then went on to serve on Norwood City Council. She then decided after that to run to replace our last uh, special guest, which was Denise Driehaus on this podcast, for her current seat because of term limits. Uh, Denise Driehaus stepped down and she took over that position. She won in the primary of six people, uh, grabbing nearly 35% of the votes, and then went on to win in the general election by 68% of resounding victory. She's one of the most beloved local politicians in the area because both sides of the aisle like her and trust her. I consider her a a friend, and let's welcome the Honorable Bridget Kelly. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be with you today. Well, thank you. Well, first of all, let's just talk about the basics. Uh, I'll start with uh, that you represent a lot of different areas, part of the city of Cincinnati, part of Norwood, part of Amberley Village, and obviously Columbia Township. Why don't you tell some of the people that are listening that don't know any better, uh, what parts of Columbia Township do you actually represent? Because we have several different neighborhoods, as you know. Right, so we represent all some or part of 17 neighborhoods or municipalities in the State House, including parts of Columbia Township, specifically Madison Place and Ridgewood. And you, I know that you're aware of this, but Madison Place and Ridgewood together are our first and second largest neighborhoods. So we have 1,600, 1,700 households in Columbia Township, and those two neighborhoods represent more than 700 of them. So you represent nearly half of all of our households in Columbia Township. So that's impressive. And as a Madison Place resident, I'd like to first off say I voted for you, so I think you've done a great <laughs> job. But um, for people that don't know, what kind of does a state representative do? What's your role in the, in the House? So the interesting thing about being a state rep is our job is different every single day. And representative by representative, I think we all take a, a little bit of a different approach. But fundamentally, the job of a state rep is to participate in the lawmaking process and make and vet the laws for the state of Ohio. So when folks at the state house have a great idea or not so great idea about changing the laws, it's our job to to vet those and to vote on those um, up at the state house. Well, I know that our community really appreciates that as busy as you are, all of the things that you were just listing that you do, and we're going to talk about more of that in the first and second half of this podcast. We want to tell you that we appreciate you've been accessible, you're responsive, uh, responsive and transparent. We've invited you to many community events and to our businesses that are opening and growing, and you have always made an effort whenever your busy schedule allows you to be there. Uh, and you don't just pop in and make an appearance and pop out. You stay, you talk, you meet, you engage, and we appreciate that, and our, our, our community appreciates that. 
Well, I think one of the best things about working at the state house is the ability to have relationships, not just with our constituents, but with our local governments. And I think that's one thing that I'm actually really grateful for Columbia Township and for the opportunity to represent some of your residents, because as elected officials and as public servants yourself, you're always keeping me posted about what's going on, always talking about the things that are happening here, always making sure that we are included, which helps us to be able to advocate for you better, to know what's important to the people that live here. And I think especially the work that you have done through the coronavirus pandemic has been really forward thinking, really innovative, really thoughtful. And so it's always a pleasure to be able to work with you. Thank you. And, and I'll add to what Melissa said, is, is, as we kind of talked a little bit, is it's always nice to, to and refreshing to see people that are in politics for the right reasons. And if you anybody that is listening to us, if you met Bridget, you just you would find her very approachable, engaging, likable, and responsive. And we need more people like that. So thank you for doing what you do. And. Um, I want to talk to you a question about the redistricting that's going on in my neighborhood. And I, I envision a lot of neighborhoods. There are a lot of fair district signs up. Um, it's kind of a hot topic, and I think it's especially important in Southwest Ohio. I don't know if you can mention anything that you're doing there. I know you're pretty involved. Well, I think this is you know once in every ten years opportunity for us to make sure that voters are able to pick their elected officials instead of the other way around. And you know, voters approved a constitutional amendment, voted on it twice, and said we want fair districts. We want to pick the people that represent us. And so far, I think that we have fallen woefully short of that goal that and that imperative that the voters have given us because government doesn't function well when you've got, you know, a few people in a basement somewhere trying to figure out how they can retain power. The best way to have a government responsive to people is by making it open and inclusive and competitive so that the people who are elected to represent folks are actually representing the people that they are elected to serve. Um, you know, I think one of the big challenges we have now is we are veering farther and farther apart from each other instead of being thoughtful about finding ways to work together. And I think that that is frustrating for people. And so that's what we've seen at the redistricting hearings when people have come out and said, before the maps, hey, you were supposed to show us some maps to look at so we could tell you what we thought, and you scheduled these meetings in the middle of the day, in the middle of a work week. That's not being accessible to people. Then the maps come out, and it's almost universally lauded as not keeping in the spirit of what the voters wanted, which is fair districts that reflect the electorate in this state. So. The goal should be to have fair districts that reflect the way that people vote, not districts that reflect the way that people need to be able to retain power for themselves. I, I had a question, but yeah, I think you said it better there, that I think I completely agree with you. I think most people would, that the districts should represent the, what the group looks like, right? Not some political gerrymandering on both sides, on either side, right? And I think Southwest Ohio is the 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 clear-cut case of where this is happening. It's especially important to the listeners of this podcast. 
Uh, speaking of events and, and, and really controlling uh, not what the voters want, but people in the basement manipulating things, it'd be remiss to have you sitting here. <laughs> Good segue. Uh, we had the biggest controversy in, I don't know, the state history, maybe the country's history, the $60 million bribery scandal that led to a billion-dollar grant, and et cetera. So it'd be hard for us not to go talk about the case against Larry Householder and some of the things. And I know you've, you know, talking to some of your constituents and, and, and colleagues, you were on the right side of that thing, but let's get started a little bit about Larry Householder and what happened. What can you tell us? Well, I will try to give you the uh, evening news version, the short version of this, but I think it also goes back to making we sure- We may want the longer version. Tell us, <laughs> tell us something we don't see on the news. We have all day. <laughs> I think it just goes back to making sure that you have folks that are actually interested in representing the people who sent them to serve in office. So I've had the privilege of serving in the state house for three terms, as you mentioned, and at the beginning of the last term, there was a, a big fight between- um, Um, which candidate was going to be elected the Speaker of the House, which is the leader of the majority party. And, you know, if somebody wrote this in a book or made it into a movie and said it was based on a true story, I don't think anyone would believe it. Um, But it ended up being a really nasty fight of who was going to be the Speaker and what they would do. And so it ended up that there was a mixture of folks from the minority party and the majority party who ended up choosing the Speaker, which is something that is very unusual because it's more typical that the minority party will choose its leader, the majority party chooses its leader. And so there was a little bit of uh, of crossover. And it came with um, a lot of heartburn, a lot of intrigue. And I was not on the prevailing side of that speaker vote. I didn't vote for Larry Householder. Um, and so as things sort of went along at the beginning of uh, last General Assembly, one of the big priorities um, that he had was House Bill 6, which was a, a an energy-related bill um, related to coal plants and um, different charges that were going to show up on people's utility bills. And that passed by a very narrow margin, by 51 votes. Uh, I didn't vote for House Bill 6 uh, either. And... And that's what I always say is refreshing about you is you are what one of the politicians can call balls and strikes and not get caught up in what you're supposed to do, but you do the right thing. But keep going. Yeah. I mean, I think that that folks who have interacted with our office, either when they're really, really happy or when they're really upset, will find that even if we're not on the same side of things that, you know, we'll always tell them the truth about why we do what we do. And I thought House Bill 6 was a bad deal for consumers. And so that's why I voted no on it. And so um, there was going to be a citizen's initiative to try to repeal House Bill 6, um, which ended up there were folks on the other side who were being paid to try to squash the ballot initiative with a lot of misinformation um, related to what it would actually do. And so the effort to repeal it failed. Then later it came out that there were some uh, nefarious things going on. Larry Householder got arrested. But the interesting thing is he continued to serve in the Ohio House. He continued to collect so a paycheck. So strange. I don't get that. Yep. So he continued to collect a paycheck. He was reelected also and then was sworn in in this term, which began in January of 2020. And only at the beginning of this summer 
did the Ohio House introduce a resolution to expel Larry Householder, uh, which they did. So that only means, though, that he's prohibited from serving for the rest of this term. So, you know, depending on what happens with his court case, you know, the things that he's um, alleged to have done, he's only alleged to have done, he, you know, uh, should have his day in court just like everybody else. Um, But I think the bigger problem is people really have a bad taste in their mouth about folks who serve in elected office and in public office. And things like gerrymandering districts and rigging things to make them unfair or to keep certain people in power and allegations of the biggest bribery and corruption scandal in the history of the state, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, are not good for any of us. Well, thank you. And I think that this topic is worthy of breaking down a little more user-friendly to the average public of what exactly happened. So we'll touch a little bit about that in the second half here, and we'll take it from there. A reminder to listen to previous podcasts, including ones that talk about the great communities that make up Columbia Township. Just go to your favorite uh, provider of podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeart, any others out there. Just search the words Columbia Township. And for all the great things that are happening in Columbia Township, be sure to visit the website, ColumbiaTownship.org. That's ColumbiaTWP.org. We'll have more with our special guest, State Representative Bridget Kelly, as we continue with Great Things Are Happening in Columbia Township. Welcome back in to Great Things Are Happening in Columbia Township. We'll continue with more with our special guest, State Representative Bridget Kelly. Dave Kabicki, take it away. Thank you. And uh, again, before we had the break, I'd mentioned just to really try to break down in a more user-friendly way because this was such an, uh, what am I going to say, a huge scandal. And people just read the headline, $60 million bribe, billion-dollar grant, and not really understand it, dark money, all this. And, you know, if you don't really take a deep, deep dive, it's hard to understand so Give us a little understanding. So there was a $60 million alleged bribe that came and went into dark money. Explain that in English to us. So, and it's a, it's a big thing to unpack what's alleged to have happened. But what's alleged to have happened is approximately $60 million in dark money. And, you know, we've heard about that, seen that um, on TV uh, to go toward... You know, when you say dark money, money, what is dark money? That's that is money that uh, does not necessarily need to be traced or um, reported. And so, I think this is another reason why it's important that we have more transparency in terms of who's paying for what in government. But at the end of the day, what's alleged to have happened is sixty million dollars in various contributions that could be tracked or not tracked to a certain degree. Um, and House Bill 6 provided for approximately a billion dollars in riders, which means a billion dollars in fees tacked on to every utility payer in the state of Ohio to benefit First Energy and to benefit uh, two coal plants, including one in the great state of Indiana. 
And part of that campaign, I know using some of that $60 million was to put out a bit of a misinformation. I just think this is fascinating and interesting about what the the grant allegedly did versus what they wanted to go inform the public. It's some misinformation out there as far as it's being with the Chinese government being involved, et cetera, which I read to be total misinformation. So there were folks who were really unhappy about the passage of House Bill 6, and part of what you're able to do in the state of Ohio is to repeal legislation through petitioning. Uh, But part of what the money, the $60 million, was alleged to have paid for were people to block petition signers, to pay for um, other types of political ads, um, which was essentially misinformation about what House Bill 6 would do. And they were successful in in stopping that repeal effort. Um, so since then, the legislature has acted on some parts of House Bill 6 to repeal those, as we should have. And I was supportive of those measures. But House Bill 6 still has not been repealed in full. Uh, and I think that is a huge problem because when you have allegations um, of the type that exist with this, the people of this state deserve better. Well, thank you for expounding on that. I know it's a touchy topic, but uh, but as we go on to our more positive part of this segment, let's talk about your future. So as the saying goes, the cream always rises to the top. And Bridget, well, I understand you've thrown your hat in the ring to run for the Hamilton County Auditor. Uh, you're, you're coming in to try to replace the, our, the eight-time legendary incumbent Dusty Rhodes, who, heck, he brought the Beatles to town in the 60s. So I mean, he's legendary here, but I guess he's retiring, and the, you're on to bigger and better things. I'll so tell us about that. The, uh, well, Dusty is the longest-serving auditor in the history of Hamilton County and maybe in the history of the state of Ohio. So I'm really excited to be running for Hamilton County Auditor. And for me, it was about finding a place where we could really be focused on doing good for people every day. And so the role of the county auditor is to be a watchdog for consumers every single day. And so we've tried to work really hard at the state house to work on behalf of our constituents every single day. And the county auditor works on behalf of the people of Hamilton County every single day. So the auditor is responsible for things like ensuring your property taxes are um, paid appropriately to the things on which voters pass levies. It's in charge of dog licensing. It's in charge of valuing your property every three years. It's in charge of weights and measures. So when you go to the gas pump, you're sure your gallon is a gallon. Or when you go to the grocery store, your pound of meat is actually a pound. And so there's a lot of potential to do good in that office. And that's really um, why it was appealing to me to um, throw my hat into the race. You can tell your passion in that role. So I was going to ask why, but you kind of explained it right there. I'm curious. It doesn't feel like it should be a political position, but like everything in politics, it probably does turn into one. Can you talk about that? Well, the the role of the auditor should not be a political position because you are elected to serve everybody in this county, whether you're a Democrat, a Republican, a Libertarian, or anything in between. And I think, again, that's part of the problem is everything is so politicized right now that it makes people feel disconnected. It makes people feel disconnected from their representatives, from their process, from their government. And so one of the things that we're really aspiring 
trying to do as county auditor is to be transparent and to be accessible and to make sure that people know what the functions of the auditor's office are so that we can be a better service to the people who live in this county, no matter what their political affiliation is. One of the things that I wanted to share today as our residents and others are listening is that so you currently as state representative represent about half of our households as we opened our segment with as county auditor you would represent all of our households most of our residents and businesses don't know that columbia township works weekly with the county auditor's office and the county auditor is involved in numerous township functions the two primary ones are settling the property tax revenues with us as a community and there are a lot of moving parts associated with that and then also our annual budget process the county auditor's office uh, is very involved in that as well and we have found that the auditor the current auditor the office to be responsive and very helpful i would like to give a shout out to tammy desk she is fantastic we'd love to see that continue and know that it would continue under you Uh, so we would love to help um, help you in your move from representing half our community to all of our community at the county auditor's office and our goal is certainly to continue that that kind of service and to you know make sure if people call somebody answers you know if people have a question to make sure that that is addressed and to really go out into communities and meet people where they are because you know we know people are busy with jobs and kids and life obligations and taking care of parents and so i think it's really important for us if we're fortunate enough to be elected county auditor to really stay engaged in the community so that we can serve folks and meet them where they are which is where they live and one question i want to ask it goes back to brian in the earlier segment with your hat the state rep on what he's seen in his community and what people care about one of the issues we deal with which is when property values go up which as trustees we're very proud of but the taxes go up and the question is is if you get people that live in their homes for 30 or 40 years haven't done much to them their neighbor goes and redoes their house or some uh, house transacts and the good news is the property value goes up bad news is for some of them is their taxes go up so how does the county auditor how often do they go into people that haven't transacted their homes and the values go up how does that work so actually that's a really interesting question because that is someplace where the legislature could actually make some policy changes to mitigate some of those issues so i know um in madisonville and in some other um neighborhoods that we represent this has been a huge problem is the way that the neighborhood is changing but when levies are passed they are passed on making sure that whomever the beneficiary is of that levy gets a certain amount of money so if there are for for ease of uh, math here if there are three people that are paying that total amount that amount's coming whether all three people pay whether two people pay or whether one person pays because that levy is meant to create a certain amount of revenue so what the legislature could do is change policies to add in some protections things like that have been done in other places we could expand the homestead exemption which we have not done which i have been an advocate for um, since i've been in the state house explain the homestead exemption a little more specifically so people understand that so the homestead exemption is meant to keep seniors in your home so if you're a certain you know a certain age um, then you get um, a break on your taxes and it's designed so that senior citizens often who are on fixed incomes are better able to stay in their homes because more often than not that's what they want to do and it's often far more affordable for folks to be able to stay in their homes instead of having to go into a full-time 
care facility. That's not always that's not always feasible for them. And so it's really the state legislature that could create policies to help people better than for the auditor to administer and make sure that people know are available. So when we have situations like this, that we are better able to offer people means to be able to afford to stay in their houses. Well, thank you. And as Brian mentioned before, love the passion, love the energy. You're in politics for the right reasons. So whatever we continue to work together on, I, I, I'm really hoping to you for a great success. Yeah, been you. terrific. Thank you. Thank you for having me. A reminder to listen to earlier podcasts in this series, including all the great things that are happening in Columbia Township and the great neighbors that make it up. Please visit your favorite SoundCloud provider, Spotify, iHeart, all those that provide podcasts. Just search the words. It's pretty simple, Columbia Township. And for all the information on what's going on in the township, go to ColumbiaTownship.org. That's ColumbiaTWP.org. For State Representative Bridget Kelly, our thanks to her. For Melissa Taylor Township Administrator Dave Kabicki, the Township Trustee President, and Vice President Brian Lamar, we thank you for listening to Great Things Are Happening in Columbia Township.